You're listening to. Welcome to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And on this episode, we are chatting with author Deepa Varadarajan, um, the author of Late Bloomers, a new family drama comedy about an Indian American family whose um, lives are turned upside down when the parents file for divorce after 36 years of arranged marriage. And the kids are left to, um, to deal with the aftermath. Um, this was a really, this was a really fun read. Yeah. I love the theme of late bloomers. I feel like, um, especially for Asian Americans, we're put on this path very early on like to become doctors, lawyers, engineers, and to get married by a certain age. Um, a lot of it is like rooted in just our culture, but, um, yeah, the idea of, starting over when you're in your 50s. That's something that we don't really see a lot in Asian American literature. It's something that I feel like we should see more of. (laughs) But um, yeah, like I really enjoy talking to Deepa about second chances, second acts, and just um, her process of writing this book because she too is a late bloomer. Yeah, it's a great conversation and we can't wait to get into it. So please enjoy our conversation with Deepa Varadarajan. And we are here with author Deepa Varadarajan, the author of Late Bloomers. Welcome to Books and Boba. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. Uh, thank you for writing such a fun and delightful book. Um, <laughs> so we always love to start off our, our author interviews by learning more about you and how you became an author. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how you got started writing? Sure. So much like the title of my book, I am a late bloomer when it comes to writing fiction. I didn't really start until my mid-20s. And, you know, like a lot of writers, I have always loved to read um, ever since I was a little kid. Uh, I grew up in a small university town in Texas, much like the fictional town in this novel. And when I was growing up in the 80s and early 90s, I was one of only a few Indian kids at my school. So I often felt like an outsider. And like a lot of outsiders, I found a lot of, you know, solace and comfort in reading fiction. So I've always been a voracious reader. But it didn't really occur to me to start trying writing fiction until I was in law school uh, in my in my 20s. And honestly, I'm not sure that I would have had the confidence to think I could have a career writing fiction much before that. So before college, um, you know, I'd never met a writer. Uh, it didn't occur to me that that was the sort of career that, you know, one could have um, or that a person like me could have. And honestly, even until I was in college, I hadn't uh, read a novel by a woman of South Asian origin before. And when I was in college, I went to the University of Texas at Austin. I had this amazing English professor who, uh, you know, introduced me to Arundhati Roy's The God of Small Things, which is this you know, phenomenal book. And, uh, and from there, I, I started reading other authors of 
uh, South Asian descent, like Jabalhiri and others. And all of that was very eye-opening for me. Uh, And even though, you know, they are phenomenal talents and my writing style is really different and I have a lot to learn, that was a very pivotal thing for me to see in my college years. And I think that was sort of the first inkling of, oh, is is this kind of thing a possibility? Uh, And then after college, I went to law school, Um, not so much because I knew I wanted to be a lawyer, but because I knew I was going to go to graduate school and I applied to some very good law schools and I got in. And so I was like, oh, I'd be foolish not to go. And I would not recommend that form of decision making for other people. I mean, it's just what but, you do as a as an Asian young adult, you know. Right. Um, but, you know, lucky for me, I actually did end up really liking law school and I made some wonderful friends. And one of the interesting things is there were some people around me who were publishing nonfiction, publishing novels. And there's something about physical proximity to people doing the thing that you think you might want to do that makes you start thinking, oh, could I maybe do this too? Uh, So, you know, that was, again, the sort of initial stirrings for me to start thinking, oh, maybe, maybe I should try my hand at creative writing. And then I graduated from law school and I started working at a big New York law firm, not unlike the kind of firm that Nikesh works at in the novel. And much like Nikesh, uh, I too did not think of it as a very good fit for me. Uh, I, I, you know, was not, it was not maybe the right career choice for me. And uh, I, I, I knew I wanted some kind of creative outlet. And so uh, I joined a writing workshop, my first ever creative writing workshop. And one evening a week, I would go to this creative writing workshop and I would uh, workshop my work and read other people's work. And it was the thing I looked forward to the most every single week. And so ever since then, fiction writing has been a part of my life. Yeah. I think it's so funny because I feel like, and I don't know if this is going to be the release order of the episodes, but the last, like, I want to say three or four (laughs) author interviews we've had have all been either former or current lawyers who are, switching to writing fiction. And many of our authors have also been former doctors, former engineers. And it's such, mm-hmm. I feel like that's a unique thing that we run into being a book club podcast that focuses on Asian authors, because <laughs> it's kind of like that trajectory that you feel like you need to follow and then switching over to something that you actually more passionate about, um, which I guess brings me to the other kind of very basic Asian American question, which is you went to law school, you got this big job, like every Asian immigrant parents dream. And then now you're writing books. How did, how do your parents respond to that? Well, you know, actually I'm also a law professor. Uh, That, that is also my current job. So I, I discovered that being a practicing lawyer really wasn't for me, but I became a legal academic and that was sort of a much better fit for me. And I do, I very much enjoy teaching classes and, you know, researching and writing. But, you know, my other passion is is creative writing. And, you know, it's been a passion of mine for 20 years. And it's something that I have tried to do, um, you know, on weekends and mornings and, you know, squeezing in time where I can. Uh, and so maybe in part because I, I still have this job as a legal academic, you know, my I've never had that moment where my parents are like, what are you doing? <laughs> so, but, but they are, they are very supportive. And I think they're really excited for me because they know that I have, you know, had this dream for 20 years to publish a novel and it's finally happening. And so um, I, I feel like I'm lucky in that they've, they've been very supportive. That's awesome. 
how do you find the time? Oh gosh. Well, I will say I worked on this book for a very long period of time, almost an absurdly long period of time, you know, a little bit at a time, stop lots of stops and starts along the way. Um, but yeah, time is definitely a struggle. Uh, and you know, I guess you're always sort of looking for that 25th hour of the day <laughs> to squeeze everything in. I mean, I'll, I'll sometimes read these author interviews where I'll read about people who are disciplined enough to wake up at 4:30 a.m. every morning and write. And I always aspire to be that person. And maybe if I had been that person, it would not have taken as long to write this novel. But, um, but alas, I'm, I'm still not that person. <laughs> was this your first uh, manuscript or did you work on other manuscripts that just ended up in your drawer? Yeah, so this was my first, but, you know, I definitely have written a lot of short stories along the way. And even with this, there were many, many, many drafts that got shoved in a drawer. So I've been working on this novel for a long time, but I will say I've probably, oh gosh, discarded, I don't know, many, many pages, you know, probably over a hundred pages. So. It's, in some ways, it feels like a new novel, even though it's it's the same novel I had been working on for quite a long time. Yeah, writing is rewriting. I feel like a lot of people don't know uh, like the importance of getting notes and rewriting your drafts like that. That is always the hardest part. And also just uh, the value of getting editors notes back. Um so like, I want to ask you, like, what was the process like getting your book published? Like, how long did it take you to get an agent? And how long did it take you to actually reach publication? Yeah, so um, I, so it's interesting. So I, as I mentioned, I, I'm working on this book for a really long time. And in fact, um, the initial idea for the character of Suresh, uh, I sort of, I, that sort of came to me in the very first writing workshop I, I ever did, that, that first creative writing workshop when I was working that law firm job after law school. And I remember that in that workshop, um, we had to, we re read a couple of pages of a short story by Matthew Clam in a, in a great collection called Sam the Cat. And we had to come back with a few pages in first person point of view. And so I had come back with two pages of Suresh's character, um, an older, uh, recently divorced Indian man who was online dating for the first time and navigating this complicated relationship with his ex-wife and his daughter. And, and it's, those first two pages are very different than the two pages now, but um, at, at first I thought it was going to be a short story. And so I had worked on it for a while thinking it was going to be a short story. And then wasn't working as a short story. So I put it away for a few years and then came back to it because I hadn't forgotten about him. And when I came back to it, I was thinking a lot more about his daughter character and his ex-wife Lata and their voices started coming to me. And so I started writing chapters from their points of view. And it, you know, became clear to me then that this was going to be a novel and, and it wasn't going to be just, just a short story. Uh, and really the process for writing this book a lot of it was just sort of feeling my way in the dark and, and trying to figure out how to write a novel, trying to believe that I could finish a novel. And I think it was very fortunate because in some of those initial workshop environments, I had these very supportive teachers and mentors who told me that I should stick with it and that I had talent and, and I should keep going with the story. And so that was, that was very important. Uh, and so over the years, sort of in stopping and starting along the way, uh, I had 
a draft of a manuscript. And so I had sent it out to a round of agents probably too early. I think it was still a draft. And I think that's one of the things that's part of the learning process, really having this sense of when are you done? When are you ready to let go of it and send it out into the world, right? And at the same time, also knowing when to stop revising and send it out, right? So uh, those are things that I sort of had to learn along the way. And so there were sort of multiple rounds of sending it out to agents. And, you know, I would get these requests for the full manuscript or partial manuscripts. And, you know, I think you have to take your victories where you can. And so I always tried to view those things as, okay, that's, that's, that's a suggestion that I should keep going with this. Um, and the last time I sent it out was in 2020. It was during the pandemic. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, this is the last time I'm going to send it out. This is the last round for me. Um, because I think the other thing you have to, or I was struggling with, was to try to understand when should I move on? When, when is it time to call it a day on this? And is this going to be my manuscript in the drawer? You mentioned that, right? And so um, for me, that the last time I sent it out was 2020. And I had told myself, okay, if it doesn't work out this time, it's, it's, it's time to move on. Uh, and, uh, and luckily, I, I got an agent in the, in the winter of 2020. And it felt kind of strange, actually, to get this really wonderful news in the middle of so much pain and suffering. But um, it, it, it was this wonderful moment for me. Uh, and then... Yeah. And then um, it was uh, picked up by Random House and I have this terrific editor. And so I'm, I'm really excited with how it's turned out. But it was definitely a very windy road with lots of rejection, lots of self-doubt, um, lots of wondering if I should keep going or if I should move on to something else. And so, yeah, it was it was it was a real learning process for me. Yeah. yeah. Like I. I find it really interesting that your novel began with a short story in uh, Shiresh's, uh perspective because I thought his perspective was written so well. His voice was so clear. Um, I mean, all of your characters had very clear voices, but uh, Shiresh is <laughs> like he <laughs> had some very interesting uh, opinions of, <laughs> and it is root it rooted in a lot of like patriarchal uh, culture. Um, like how was it just getting into his mindset? Yeah. So his voice sort of was the clearest to me from early on. So I don't tend to write with an outline or anything like that. So when I start, I kind of start with a voice, with a scene and I build out from there and his voice came first. It was sort of the clearest to me. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's a lot of it was just my imagination, but it, you know, it, it was the voice that was the sharpest in my mind from the beginning. Uh, and then I would say after that, Priya, the daughter character, was sort of the next voice that kind of came more easily to me. And I think of the four voices, the, the mother character, Latha, and the son character, Nikesh, were, were somewhat harder for, for me to find. Um, I had to, to work more to really get their voices right. And, you know, with Latha in particular, it's interesting. When I started working on this as a story. I was in my mid-20s, so I was closer in age to the adult children characters. And now at the end of this process, I'm in my mid-40s, and I'm sort of equidistant from the parent car- characters, Letha and Suresh, and the adult children characters, Priya and Nikesh. And I think even though the process was very windy and took a long time, 
I think the fact that I went through things in my own life, like growing older, having kids, all of these things sort of helped me really find Lata's voice. And she has over time become my favorite character in the story. I mean, I love them all, but she's, she's become my favorite. And so even though it was a very windy, long process, and I'm very hopeful that with my next novel, it will be much faster. <laughs> uh, I think, I mean, I think where I've ended up and the novel I've ended up with, I'm much happier with than what I think I would have ended up with 10 or 12 or 13 years ago. Yeah, yeah I feel like there's a book in each of your characters. You know, I felt like you could have written an entire manuscript in Priya's point of view and uh, Lata's point of view. And I, I do agree with you. Like Lata is my favorite character in the book. <laughs> yeah, I really love what you said about how you organically came to the decision to write this as like a multiple point of view book. It was a lot of fun to to read the different characters. And, you know, your, your book is both called and about late bloomers, which is something I feel like is a very relatable experience, especially for like Asian Americans, because I feel like not everybody, but definitely myself, I still feel like I'm trying to figure out day by day, you know? So I guess, can you talk to us about your inspirations for wanting to write a book about mm -hmm. these characters? Yeah. So I'm really fascinated by the idea of second chances, right? Are you ever too old to reinvent your life or can you make a change at any age? And I really did want to explore this idea through the story of this Indian American family living in a fictional college town in Texas. And, you know, the couple at the center of the story, Lata and Suresh Raman, have recently divorced after 36 years of an arranged marriage. It was Lata's decision to leave, but they're both in the process of starting over. And, you know, Lata, she has a job for the first time outside the home. This is part of her second act. And she loves it. And she's working at a, a university library and a professor there asks her out, which is this totally new and nerve wracking experience for her. Her ex-husband Suresh is online dating for the first time, and it's really not going at all how he expected. And, you know, meanwhile, their 30-something-year-old children, Priya and Nikesh, are, are adjusting to these changes, to their parents' new lives. And they are also um, dealing with their own messy relationship issues, which they've been hiding from their parents. So all of the characters in this family are you know, late bloomers in a sense, as you said, and they are, you know, learning, um, they're, they're discovering these secret sides of one another, and they're learning how to let the people they love become these new and evolving versions of themselves. Yeah, I love the parallel between the parents and the adult children. Because um, like the adult children, they're looking to settle down, you know, they're looking to have their third act, like I want to mm -hmm. have kids, or I want to like have a stable marriage. And their parents after a stable marriage of 36 years are like, I want to start dating, <laughs> start dating mm -hmm. again. It It's such a... Um, like you're flipping the script on so many, I guess, like Asian American uh, married couples, like their trajectory when it comes to to marriage, because I feel like a lot of um, like our parents generation, they're taught to settle like they're taught mm -hmm. like you like this isn't as bad as it could be. So you should be happy. You should be grateful for uh, what you can get. Um, 
So like as someone who, you know, became a parent while writing this book, did it like help you kind of like learn more about your parents and like open your eyes to the struggles that they went through? Yes, definitely. And I will say, you know, the this even though the characters in the story is very much a product of my imagination, this sort of first spark a kernel of the idea for this kind of story, you know, came to me about 20 years ago at the time I was dating an Indian American man and his parents had recently divorced and, you know, his dad was um, trying online dating for the first time. And I remember him saying something to us, like, I want to try it your way this time. And I was really struck by that. And I, I thought it was this, you know, brave thing to try for this second act later than in life and try something outside your comfort zone. And, you know, at the same time I was in my twenties and I was going through these relationship issues and, you know, all of this made me think I haven't read a, a story quite like that before where, you know, a, an Indian couple, uh, my parents' age have recently divorced and their adult children are, are all going through romantic turmoil at the same time. And, you know, I've always been drawn to stories about families going through change and, um, you know, second acts and second chances. So this kind of story really appealed to me. And you asked about my own parents and my, my parents actually had an arranged marriage, um, like the couple in this book, though, unlike the couple in this book, they've, they have a successful one They're They've been married for almost 50 years and they're actually a very compatible couple. And I will say when I was growing up for my brother and me, it was always this object of fascination, how our parents got together, right. That they had met a few times in a room with their relatives, not really talked to each other. And then they got married and, And so this was always sort of this object of fascination. And yet in our case, they're they're very compatible and it it worked out well. And yet there were very, there were moments in my life where I did wonder to myself, what if it had not worked out this way, right? Um, What if like some other uh, Indian American friends of mine, uh, it had turned out differently. And so this novel in a way is almost an attempt to imagine that what if, that alternate imaginary path. Um, and it's true. I think the process of me growing older and having kids myself has has also made me quite sympathetic to my parents in a lot of ways. It's it's definitely expanded my understandings of what parents go through and the challenges and the, that for sure. I mean, I think for a lot of even like conservative like South Asian families, like divorce is also something that's really hard, right? Like it's socially not. Mm-hmm. as acceptable. Yeah. And, you know, in the story, Letha definitely struggled with that decision too. And and she, she talks about how it's not lost on her that she decides to do this after her kids are grown up and moved from the house and after her own parents have passed away and she doesn't have to worry about, you know, bringing shame on them. And so, <laughs> I mean, I think even though she has taken the step for herself, for her own happiness, she is also a person who cares about duty and obligation and worries about these things too, and has worried about these things. And she's at this moment in her life where she thinks, okay, I can take this step for myself now. Yeah. I really appreciated uh, Lata's journey into like independence and just like learning how to, how to take up space because for the longest time, like she, like her passion was uh, taking care of her kids and making sure that, you know, they had, the future that, you know, she couldn't have growing up. And I thought it was really interesting um, that in the book you mentioned, oh, like they were born a generation too early or too late because the generation after them 
like arranged marriage has become, I don't know, kind of like this tailored Tinder service <laughs> where, where it's like if you don't like the person, you go on a couple of dates first before you say yes to the arranged marriage. So I thought that was like a really uh, interesting point to bring out in the book. Yeah, I think um, this is a observation Nikesh is making. And he says, you know, um, arranged marriage has kind of morphed into this dating service provided by your parents. And you can, you know, you can go on dates and you can figure out if you like each other and if you don't like each other. And yeah, so, yeah, so I, I, I wanted to, um, you know, present that, that change in what arranged marriage has come to mean for a lot of people too, so. Yeah. And like gender roles and stereotypes are, you know, very much tied in with uh, like South Asian arranged marriage uh, culture and just like um, like family culture as well. Uh, There's this line where Priya says resenting an Indian mother's love of a son was like resenting the orbit of the moon. And I just like burst out laughing when I was reading (laughs) that. Um, Can you talk more about how. how it, how it's different for daughters and their mothers versus like mothers and their sons? Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting because she does have this perception that her brother is her mother's favorite. And yet, and in quite a lot of the book, her, her mother spends a lot of time worrying about her, uh, not her brother. And so it's sort of this interesting thing sometimes the disconnect between a child's perception of what their parents are feeling and what might actually be going on in their parents' minds. And I've actually been thinking about that a lot myself because I have two kids. And in my heart of hearts, I love them equally. And I try very hard to treat them equally as much as I can to show them that I care about them equally. And yet I have no doubt at some point they're going to grow up and they're going to have their own perceptions about who is whose favorite. <laughs> and so you know, she, she says that, and you're right on the one hand, that might be true in a lot of families where there is, you know, a lot of, um, uh, there might be some favoritism towards the son. And yet I also sort of wanted to play with that here because in fact, in much of the book, her mother is worrying about her. And, you know, part of one of the themes of this book is sort of that disconnect between the children's perceptions of their parents and their parents' perceptions of children and the way they're sort of missing each other, right? And so I, I thought of that as one of those moments. Yeah. And also all the things you don't tell your parents or your child because you don't want them to worry um, that causes those misunderstandings because all four of your characters are exploring some sort of like, I guess you would call what you would call in like conservative terms, non-traditional relationships. Uh, Nikesh Mm -hmm. is, has a child with someone he's not married to. Um, Priya is dating uh, a married man. Suresh is um, doing online dating and Lata is dating like a coworker. Can you talk to us about your decision to explore all these like different ways to date or ways to approach romance? Yeah, I mean, I I wanted to, I was very interested in the idea of a story where recently divorced Indian parents and their adult children were all going through romantic turmoil at the same time. And as you say, they're each doing something that would be viewed as non-traditional. So Priya, as you mentioned, is dating a married man, which is something she's hiding from her parents because she knows they wouldn't approve. And in fact, in a way, she herself does not approve of this, approve of this decision, right? And, you know, Nikesh is 
um, has uh, had a, a child with someone that he's not married to. And this is also something, or the, the fact that he's not married to the mother of his child is something that he is keeping from his parents. And the parents too are in some ways hiding parts of their new lives from their children. And so this is a situation in which they're each you know, evolving and changing and in these various ways. And they have this sort of history of not completely communicating with one another. Uh, and, um, and so they're having to sort of discover these things about one another and, and figure out how to let these people that they love in their life sort of evolve and become these new versions of themselves. And that's the struggle that they're all going through at the same time. Yeah, like when I was reading the book, I was like, oh my goodness, so many taboos are being <laughs> like thrown into every single family member's relationships. I was like, think of the worst things that uh, an immigrant uh, parent will think about when it comes to their child, like romantic relationships and it's there. But also at the same time, the parents are going through their own thing. And I thought it was just a fun family comedy, but also there were like you know, it, it's comedic, but also there were times where it was really heart wrenching. And I was like, oh, my goodness, like uh, the loneliness that all of the uh, characters feel like I thought that was super relatable, uh, especially these days where uh, marriages are, you know, you can get divorced. And like there's this expectation to uh, be in a relationship and have kids by a certain age. I, I mean, I, I will say, I think one of the things that motivated me to write this story is in my life, I, I certainly have Indian American friends whose parents have gone through divorce. And so, but, but when I started writing this book, this wasn't really something that I saw depicted very much. And I did want to write that story. Uh, and um, there are moments uh, in this book where they're all struggling with these changes. And, and one of my favorite moments in the story is where uh, Priya is helping her mom get ready for a date. Helping is the wrong word, maybe being more of a nuisance as her mom is getting ready for a date. And, you know, some people have, have wondered why she's sort of so uncharitable to her parents um, sometimes. And I, one of the things I wanted to get across is that part of the reason she feels this resentment is she felt for so much of her life, she had to hide her relationships and her romantic interests and that part of her life. And now she feels like the rug has kind of been pulled out from under her and, you know, her parents are doing these things. And, and I think she makes some comment about her father, something along the lines, like I had to spend all these years hiding these parts of myself from him. And now he wants us to be you know, Carrie and Samantha trading stories over brunch. And so she has these sort of resentments, which I, I wonder if, I, and I, I hope people will be able to relate to them. Yeah, I think, and maybe this is more of like, again, a child of immigrant, <laughs> Asian American thing, but the moment where your parents start treating you like an adult friend is such a jarring moment. Like, because we spend so much of our lives trying to please them honor them like all the all the immigrant child um, worries and all of a sudden they want to be friends with you and then a lot of times they like especially my parents conveniently forget all the stuff they did to you when you when you were a kid and I wonder if that is something that like it's another stereotype but like you know you always feel like your non-Asian friends were already such great friends with their parents growing up and you always wonder what that what's that like and then you get to that point it's like oh this is weird right <laughs> 
Yeah, that's such a good point. I mean, I, I, you know, I'll say in my own life, I'm, I'm very close to my parents and close to my family, but I can't say that, you know, growing up, we had that relationship of best friends. I mean, it confide everything in you. And, you know, I, I know from talking to a lot of my um, friends who are, are children of immigrants, similarly, they didn't have quite that, that type of relationship where you're, you know, you call yourself best friends and confide everything to your parents. And you're right. It, it, as, as you get older, um, it does seem like there is, there is this evolution in the relationship where you are confiding more and learning more about them. And it's this wonderful thing, but also sometimes it's a little bit like, oh, this feels a little <laughs> weird and different, you know? Yeah. And I think there's also yeah. the fact, like that factor of role reversal, you know, like your parents are parenting you for most of your life. And then when you get to uh, your 30s, it's like, okay, now I have to take care of my parents. And I thought it was like really interesting with uh, Lata and her daughter Priya when Lata was getting ready for her first date ever. And Priya's just like, I can't believe that I am helping my mother, quote unquote, helping my mother get ready for her first date when I had to hide all of like my romantic adventures from her because I knew that she was going to freak out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And again, I mean, I think, you know, one way to read Priya's character, some people may think, you know, she's 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 too harsh. She's she's she should be more charitable to her parents. But, you know, in that scene, I wanted to sort of unpack, look, there are there's some hurt that she feels around that. And I think they have a really nice moment in that scene where Lata says, you know, yeah, maybe I wish it had gone differently too, but I, I wasn't equipped to do that back then. And I mean, this is the thing about parenting, right? You, you may have these regrets along the way and you learn and, you know, you can't go back in time and do these things over. Um, And, you know, so they're having those, those moments. And so even though these, these family members are, you know, going through this period of change and turmoil. I wanted the book to end in sort of an optimistic way where, you know, or a hopeful way where this sort of period of turmoil and evolution is sort of bringing them closer and helping them understand each other better. Yeah. Priya's character is definitely like, as like the eldest child, I can relate you know, taking on the role of new parent for the family because, you know, she, her relationship with her father, Suresh, is also really funny. I love when she's just trying to figure out, is is my father being scammed by his online dating girlfriend? Yeah, I love um, the online dating portion of the book. Yeah, and, and the fact that, like, her, her brother, who's supposed to be the one who has it all together, who, again, has his own secrets, is also kind of needs a parent to help him through his predicament. Yeah, and, you know... Something that you mentioned before about how there's this period of this shifting where adult children start to feel like they're parenting their parents. And I I do think that's something that I think a lot of people can relate to, right? Um, As they're growing older, they're, you know, they're they're thrust more in this position of responsibility for their their parents. And and then there's also the relationship between the siblings and the frustrations they feel about who's doing more for the parents. You know, Nikesh has one of these moments where he's quite frustrated with his sister because she lives close to them and she's not checking in on them and she's not taking care of them. And I think those moments between adult siblings and the sort of distances that comes from those conflicts around taking care of older parents is also something that's universal, right? Also, I just thought it was so funny that uh, Shuresh would ask his son for dating advice. And later on in the book, he 
kind of has a revelation of, oh, maybe my son doesn't <laughs> really know much about uh, romance and relationship as as I previously thought. Um, and I just love like the disastrous dates that uh, Shiresh goes on. Was there a date that you edited out like in later drafts? Like were there like more crazy dates that he goes on? Oh, well, I mean, there were definitely, I think in that sort of beginning chapter when he's recounting some of his failed dates, I think maybe in an earlier version of that, there were more of those kind of details that 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 got cut. I'm, I'm trying to remember if there were actual other dates that he went on that got cut. I'm sure I had drafts of or beginnings of other other dates that I wanted to include, but ended up um, but ended up deleting. <laughs> but but yeah, those were fun. To yeah, write. yeah. My favorite um, one was when uh, <laughs> he's talking about um, this one date who just lied about a bunch of small details, and he's like, "It would have been okay if it was just you know." Like that one small detail saying like, oh, my favorite food is not Italian. Like it's actually this <laughs> instead. And oh, I'm not vegetarian. Like I said in my pro- profile, he's like, you know, it would have been OK if it was just like a one off lie. But a, co- a combination of just like all these little lies. Now I'm just now I'm kind of worried because uh, it just seems like your identity is just being a liar. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, I do, I think I, I have not had a lot of experience internet dating, but I will say, you know, having spoken to a lot of people who have, um, I think there are a lot of frustrate. there can be a lot of frustrations around the experience. So it was kind of fun to explore some of those in yeah. Suresh's character. Yeah. I mean, he lies I on his w- dating profile too. So I'm just like, aren't you being a little bit hypocritical? <laughs> Oh, yes. He thinks his are just reasonable deviations from truth, though. <laughs> Not really lies. <laughs> well, his yeah. children also, uh, you know, have reasonable deviations about their life, too. So it's a <laughs> it's a family trait, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, we're winding down to the end of our time. But um, what do you want to say to the late bloomers out there who are reading your book? Oh, boy. Well, I- I guess I would say, you know, if you're going to take a few lessons from this book and maybe even my own story about becoming a debut author in my mid forties, it's never too late for a second act. You know, you can always try for things that you care about. Love can be discovered at, at any age and, um, you know, family dynamics can test us in ways that nevertheless bring us closer. Yeah. It's a great book. Um, I had a lot of fun reading it and I hope, you know, our listeners who are interested will will check it out. Um, I guess, are you working on something new? Like what's what's next for for you? Yeah. So at the moment, I am working on a few short stories. Um, I actually really I love the short story form, too. It's it's challenging and fun in a different way than than writing a novel. But I'm also working on something that I think can grow into a novel right now. It's just some character sketches and scenes, but I'm hoping it will grow into a novel. And, and I'm hopeful that, that this one will go faster. (laughs) Well, you have practice now, so uh, you have experience on your side. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much for writing this amazing book. Um, And thank you so much for joining us on Books and Boba. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this conversation. 
And that was Deepa Vardarajan. Um, her novel, Late Bloomers, is now available at booksellers everywhere. Um, as always, you can also get the book on our Books and Boba online bookshop. Um, we do appreciate your support. Um, but on that note, uh, we are knee deep into Asian Pacific American Heritage Month of 2023. Uh, Rira, can you remind us what we are reading this month for Book Club? Uh, so we are reading The Fortunes of Jaded Women by Carolyn Huynh. And it is a contemporary novel about a family of estranged Vietnamese women cursed to never know love or happiness as they reunite when a psychic makes a startling prediction. And it takes place in Orange County's Little Saigon, which is not that far away from where we are recording this podcast. Yeah, excited to chat about this book with you at the end of the month. Um, As always, if you've already finished the book and have some feedback you want to share, please let us know in our Gregory's forums or if you are a Patreon subscriber on our Discord server, which you will have access to um, if you if you support Books and Bobo on Patreon. Also, um, so we're going to be at Bel Canto's Books Festival of AAPI Books in Long Beach. So uh, there's a bunch of Asian American authors who are going to be there. Uh, some of them have been on our show. So if you guys are at this festival, come say hi to us. Yeah, we'll be there this Saturday, uh, May 13th in Long Beach. So um, yeah, we'd love to see you there. And that'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Thanks again to Deepa Varadarajan for chatting with us. And yeah, we'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we've got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace.